Welcome to the Isle Podcast. I'm John Froze, a former state representative and state senator in the state of Michigan. And I'm David Rutledge, also a former representative in Michigan. Together, we've seen firsthand how the aisle separates one side from the other. The aisle can, in many instances, though, bring us together. Today, we will explore just how the aisle has influenced our leaders and public servants, Republicans and Democrats elected and appointed. So join us in the aisle, where together we can deepen our understanding of the things that separate us and explore just how we can work together for the common good. David, it's great to be back. Good to see you, my friend. Oh, John, this is special because we have a very special guest to, to join us in the aisle. Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm honored. In just a few moments, we'll welcome in Senator Ken Horn. Uh, when you think of Frankenmuth, what do you think about? I think of chicken. And you think, I think of chicken? Of, I think of chicken. I think of Christmas kinds of things. Um, I, 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 that's my thought. Well, uh, after for 40 years, uh, Ken and his great family and, and his uh, children and grandchildren are all from the Saginaw, Frankenmuth area. And Ken and I had the opportunity to serve together. I know you serve with them in the House of Representatives, too. And um, for a long time, 16 years, he served on the county commission. I have no idea why he wanted to go to Lansing, but maybe we ought to <laughs> ask him that question and find out because we got the opportunity to serve with Senator Ken Horn. So, David, let's welcome in Senator Ken Horn to the Isle podcast. Welcome, Senator. Uh, welcome. Good to see both of you. Great. I, I, thanks for joining us in the aisle. I reflect back on our on our time when we served together in the House for uh, a part of your, uh, your public service time. And I always remember, even though you were on the other side of the aisle, you always was a you were always a uniter and looking for a common common ground. I'd like to um, ask, how how do you see your time in the House as compared to your time in the Senate? I, I, can you compare both chambers for? Well, I think the time in the Senate is, is, is functionally. You know, we we I have more constituents. You know, I, I have. You know, John was there. He understands. You know. The district is bigger. There's more drive time in between stops. Our staffs are bigger. You know, we still have to write bills. You know, you know, we still have to go through the committee hearings. Everything is about the same. That there's less there's less senators than there were reps. You you get to know each other a little bit better. You would think it'd be a little bit more collegial, but I think we're in such odd times right now. It just feels more partisan. You know that you know, uh, David. When when we were serving, you know, John was uh, was one of my mentors when we were uh, we, uh, just coming into the house, and he actually, uh, you know, you know, sponsored me into the build program at uh, Council of State Governments. Uh, mm -hmm. Submitted my name, and I went through the leadership program, and and we we had a chance, uh, you know, to you know to get to know some of our colleagues through that when we when I went over to Wisconsin for a, for a couple of days and you come back with some lessons and but my time as a county commissioner too I, I spent all my time in the minority then and in order to get anything done I had to I had to talk to people 
you know, it wasn't, it wasn't just about reaching across the aisle, but it was about developing relationships. Because when you're solving problems together, you're getting things done for the for the entire region. It's not just for my hometown. And then my hometown happens to benefit. And it's the same thing when I went into the house and I saw it because we were in a minority my first two terms. Uh, and I, in order to get anything done, I had to, I had to work with the other side. I, I, there was no other way. Well, Senator, speaking speaking of working with the other side, it, you have sponsored some some legislation that I, I I wish you would talk to us briefly about because I think some of it's cutting edge uh, stuff. Uh, for example, in the area of housing, I mean, you've sponsored um, bills and and the governor has signed. You have legislation that you got through this process uh, regarding first time home buyers. And uh, can, can you just tell us about that? Yeah, the first time homebuyers bill was interesting. I, I got to know this bill. I was uh, I was working with Pete McGregor when he was still here in, in Lansing, and, and he's the first champion of this idea. But I'm thinking about how, you know, how we can get kids, young people like my, you know, my kids to, you know, to be able to buy a, you know, a house here in Michigan rather than some other state like portland you know, in portland oregon and you know it, where, where my andrea is now now she's coming back to michigan and it's not just because of the bill you know but they uh but you know there's something about home ownership that's different right when you have your own property no matter how small or big it might be when you're when you're planting flowers when you're digging in the dirt and you're, you know, in, you know, in your uh, that fresh dirt and the smell of it, and you're, uh, you're, uh, this is yours. And there's something about that. You take pride in that ownership. We should be encouraging that. And in that pride and ownership is pride in your community. And that pride in the community is pride in your state. And that just translates back up again. And, and we certainly do need uh, need more homeowners in the state of Michigan. You know, other things, economic development, you know, our Senate priorities, and this is this crosses aisles as well. A work a work talent development, you know, workforce development and critical housing. Right now, I mean, if you were a teacher, a firefighter, a machine operator, could you afford to buy a house? Could you build one? Could you is there one on the market that you can afford? Uh, it's really tough right now in Michigan. It is all over the country. But it, but how do we how do we start building houses again with construction materials the way they they are with labor you know the way it is so we have to we have to start being very innovative in the way that we approach things and and those are really nonpartisan issues talking about housing and economic development there's really it's really hard to fight about how to how to approach that until you start talking about spending money. And, and then, you know, you know, to do that. And that's it. So, so we, we just have to talk, we talk about the policies of it, but I've gotten to where I'm talking different to my colleagues. Now I apologized in, in my committee to my committee members and to my colleagues and to the public general public seven years. Now I've got one year left in the Senate. I spent so much time building tools for economic development. I forgot to tell everybody why we needed them. And so I changed up how to approach this. And, you know, you think about how to grow a community. We need more people. 
more people in your community means they're 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 buying cars in your in your hometowns. They're they're not buying cars in Tennessee. They're not buying cars in you know in Georgia. They're not buying cars in Texas. They're buying cars here in Michigan, and the sales tax on those cars is going into our schools. The the gas you know you know it's sore subject right now, but the you know the gas that you know the tax that they're paying at the pump is you know is paying for our roads. The more people we have in Michigan, the the more that money is flowing through our system. Economic yes. development is really investment in ourselves, and, Ken, and we need more people. Absolutely, that is exactly the kind of conversation that we we had when we served together. Um, and just recently, it, it has met with some controversy. Um, the reinvention of your good jobs bills from the time that we were in the legislature together has now been resurrected in a new form. And that new form led to, to some major investments for General Motors. I know that there's some controversy surrounding that. Uh, what's your thought on, on, on as we try to build economic development and benefit for all of our citizens, how does that that new good jobs package come together for a general motors when some of our small businesses are saying what gives well you, that's where the conversation changes that that's when we start talking about how we're how we're uh, approaching this in, in that investment that ford motor company made down in tennessee tennessee uh, gave up 400 million dollars in cash to entice them to come to tennessee we offered nothing. We were not even in the ball game. We had no property. We had no, you know, we had no money. Uh, we didn't even talk about energy prices. We didn't get that far. And we we dropped the ball. And and so, but you think about what that uh, what that region is going to look like around Blue Oval Park. How many houses are going to be built? How many how many restaurants and bars and churches and schools? Dry cleaners, etc. All right? of those things, right? That's the halo effect of investing. And Tennessee doesn't have an income tax. We do. You think about Michigan. If we had we spent the four hundred million dollars on on Ford Motor Company on their eleven thousand jobs, uh, a billion dollar payroll. We have an income tax. We would have recouped that four hundred million dollars in less than ten years with our just with our personal income tax. Then you include the halo effect. So when you start talking to colleagues and you know and people around the you know in you know they're making the decisions for this about all of these things, it it looks like an actual investment now, and not just money down the toilet. It's not just corporate welfare. It's not just picking winners and losers. This is a real investment. And so that's so that's what we did with General Motors and with LG, and we have more to come, and on all those investments will be paying off down the road. So when I so now that I'm building, we're going to work with Curtis Sertel. I've got that on his desk. He's you know, running the traps on you know on the you know on the blueback that I sent him, mm -hmm. and with with Mark Heisinger, uh, on and turning that SOAR fund that we created last December into a revolving uh, trust fund for economic development. Where I recaptured some of those things, just you know, those those income taxes, so the state finally has some skin in the game, and we have a long-term, uh, you know, uh, revolving fund, and I'm kind of future-proofing economic development because I'm only going to be here for another eight months. That's exactly right. Does it seem like this has gone in a flash for you, Ken? It has. It it it, it you know you know how fast it goes. Both you and David know it. it the time goes so fast, and 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 I, I feel like. I'm so far behind, especially with the COVID 
period that we had mm -hmm. the, the, um, it, it got us behind and you know it kind of, the economy fell behind it feels like a decade that we're trying to catch up uh, so you know we're working overtime in my office to, to try to get some really big things done uh, try to get some capital outlay to our institutions so they so they can fix in, you know the buildings that are crumbling around the our the ears of our students and and you know buying equipment so that they can teach skilled trades in their schools and it everything just seems to have to happen at one time so it takes so many people to have to do this so my job is to put all the ducks in the rowboat and get us all in the going in the same direction so, Senator, as part of this, you know, you know, this whole economic development piece, you have also been championing uh, uh, autonomous vehicles. I know I was uh, I was interested in a quote that um, that's attributed to you. Uh, you said, "If we're going to have smart cars, we need smart roads." So, uh, can can you explain what you mean by that? Well, we just say we're passing a bill, you know, to, you know, to, uh, for smart lanes, just piloting that, you know, whether, whether we're going to do this on I-96 or I-94, uh, maybe a lane or two down in Detroit near Corktown where Ford is doing their, uh, you know, doing their innovations. Uh, but we need to be able to tie the roads into the cars, the cars, the technology and the cars can only take you so far. Uh, it, you know, if the viewers of this podcast remember, the uh, you know the the horrible accident on ninety four where it had you know almost almost a hundred cars that that were uh, in you know in some fatalities and a big blizzardy snowstorm and even the lidar that's inside these cars would have, wouldn't wouldn't have detected through the snow the you know some of the you know some of the cars stopped ahead of them on an icy street if you have a smart road you would a your car would have detected a hard break you know, a, you know, a half a mile ahead of you. And, and it would have slowed you down, let you know there's something ahead of you. But once we connect the cars to each other, connect the cars to the road, connect the cars to the building around us, connect them to the satellite system, March 30th, um, uh, another rocket's going to go up at, uh, you know, Kennedy Space Center, you know, Skylink is going to grow again. But once we get these cars all connected to each other, they can never be unconnected, even for a second. It'll be it'll be devastation, and and so we really have to go from you know from being a rust belt to a very smart belt, uh, in you know in a very quick period of time, and with autonomous vehicles and with the electrification of cars, the you know the the combustion engine plants that I have here in Saginaw Bay City. 20 years from now, 30 years from now, who knows? It, when they go the way of the coal plant here in Michigan, we have to we have to be prepared. Our our you know our workers have to be prepared. Our system has to be prepared for the new you know, type of building that we have to do, and that's what we did with General Motors. And that it was a wake up call by Ford, but we're we're back in the ball game again. Senator, clearly uh, a lot to be done uh, on the economic front. And on other fronts, but uh, but let me share. I was in the city of Greenville uh, earlier this week, right right near Grand Rapids, and I happened to be talking to uh, one of the workers in the hotel. Just I always speak and say, "Hey, how you doing?" And 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 she said, "I'm doing okay." She said, "But 
but people seem not to be doing okay. I said, what do you mean by that? And she said, people now seem to be just um, uptight, loggerheads. You can't say anything uh, to anybody without somebody, you know, coming back with you with some kind of bad comment. So how, what do you make of the atmosphere that you find yourself in when, when you're in Lansing or when you're in your district uh, in terms of how people are feeling about each other? You know, COVID plays a big role in that today. You know, you know, it, you know, I, I see signs in restaurants, you know, you know, be patient. You know, we're working as hard as we can. We have employees in every sector that are, they're working overtime. They're working 16 hours a day in some of our restaurants and hotels and they're, they're getting burnt out. I owned a restaurant for a little while. I employee burnout was something I was very, very careful with. I, you know, people's, you know, their, their mental attitudes changed. They, you, you try to keep them empowered, encouraged and moving and, you know, happy employees mean happy customers. And, and so that, and so you just try to try to do the best you can, but the mood has changed overall. I, you remember a John and David were, when you and I, all the three of us were in Lansing when I first came down there, and I and I'm not bringing up the issue, you know, to bring up the issue. It's, it's more about the, um, you know, about the the, the times. Seventy percent of the the house, the state house, 110 members was pro life. Mm -hmm. That included Republicans and Democrats. Now it's strictly down partisan lines. There are no dem Democrats that will be publicly pro life. Right. And so you're talking 55, 45. I mean, it's not 70 percent anymore. Mm -hmm. We don't, And it's an issue that we that we get mad about when we talk about it. So we don't talk about it. It it we can't even we you know, we can't be who we are these days. It's it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's you know, and that's that's a sign of the times. And that's what I'm seeing, too, on the Senate side. There are just issues that, you know, that uh, that we just don't talk about or we get accused of, you know, silence is violence. If I don't say, you know, just the right thing at the right time. And, yeah. you know, it, or if I say the wrong thing at the wrong time, and then, you know, then you've got folks out there saying really stupid things in their campaigns. And, 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 and then everybody is uh, painted with the same broad brush, uh, you know, in every lit piece mm -hmm. that, you know, that uh, that's out there. And you're going, you know, at some point this insanity has to stop and we have just have to be normal people again. Ken, do you think that has something to do with term limits? I know that that's always a topic that comes up towards the end of any electoral cycle. And this one is a big cycle insofar as the governor's on the ballot and the entire Senate is up for election and the entire House with new districts and everything. So is this a part of it? Yeah. You know what? Other states have term limits and other states have part time. John, I, I don't know if this, that's so much of it, uh, but I do tell, uh, you know, some of my advice, and I wrote a little piece, uh, you know, for some of my colleagues that are just coming in, uh, you know, my advice to freshmen. And one of the pieces of advice is not every good idea deserves its own law. <laughs> and We can write a hundred of them, can't we? <laughs> you, know, yeah, you, get, you get good at these. Uh, and, and really, but that what this saying is in essence is that just every time a constituent calls you up on the telephone with a problem, you don't have to you don't have to go to LSP, you don't have to write a bill. And, but to solve the problem, you need to know people. You need to know your colleagues. You need to know who to call if you have a problem. I don't have a problem to every answer, 
but I bet you down to a nickel, I know somebody that does. And, and, and so, so if I have a department head, if I bring them into a committee and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to ambush them. I'm going to hit them on the side of the head with a brick every time they come in. Number one, why would they come in? But if I have a problem, why would, why would they take my telephone call? So, so, so trust is the coin of the realm in Lansing and in Washington. And it, you know, average people wouldn't believe that the way we fight sometimes. But if you don't have that trust, if you don't have that faith in your colleagues and the people that, that work for us, or, you know, the state employees, um, you know, even the lobbyists, you know, they're, they've lost power with term limits. You know, we, the, where the power has shifted was into the bureaucracy system, right? Because, you know, we come and go, the bureaucracy stays. And so, but you have to get to know a, each other. And that's the weakness of term limits is we never build relationships. I come in as a freshman and all of a sudden I'm, you know, I'm chairing energy and tech or I'm chairing banking. I've never, you know, so I, you know, I've never been in the banking business. What a business do I have chairing a banking committee? Right. But it, you know, I come in and, you know, back in the old days, I, a freshman would just kind of sit in the back and just sit, sit, you know, and just learn. Mm-hmm. Now you don't have time. You're, you're in there fighting for your constituents. And so that the weakness is we don't get to know each other. And so we beat each other up because that's what you do when you don't know each other. I'll tell you some of the greatest uh, experiences that I had and shared many of them with you, Ken, uh, and with you, David, um, across chambers, as we've discussed on the podcast in the past, uh, some of the greatest memories I have now, three years removed from being in the legislature with you, Ken, is, is is the time that we were able to share real life together um yeah. and and i may never uh may never ever forget the days of of you not being in our caucus room and being on the floor with us for a few days um with a tragic loss in your life um as we think about our lives together as as human beings um it was brought home for all of us with with some tragic circumstances with your granddaughter if if you wouldn't mind giving us a little background on on Zelly and what happened in that period of time, because it really defined a memory of mine and the relationship that you and I had as friends. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it it was my, you know, it was my colleagues that helped pull me through that, John. Uh, you know, we had our freshman eight, you know, you know, in the mm-hmm. Senate, and you know that it was a small class that came in, and you know, Senator Shirky was one of them, and. Remember, uh, you know, we had a, you know Marty Nolenberg and Margaret O'Brien and a and a few others that you know that were you know in that class, Jim Stamis and the others, um, and you know, and I was gone, you know, for those few days. My daughter Zell, granddaughter Zelly, two years old, mm-hmm. and you know, and I never went anywhere on a Sunday afternoon. That was Sundays were. I, I, in the restaurant business, I, I, I set aside Sundays for the family because that was t- typically the slowest day of the week for me, and it was the time I could get away. and And so we, you know, we'd, you know, be out on the back deck and barbecue or inside, and when it, we could have dinner together and mm-hmm. spend some time, and you know, with the kids and my grandkids live with us, and 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 so I took accepted an invitation. I just happened to be with NAACP with their Freedom Dinner, and and. Uh, 
and I and I went up and I spoke for just you know four or five minutes, and I said, you know what? I don't know why I felt compelled to come here this year of all the years that I turned down invitations on a Sunday afternoon, and and uh, but I but I just needed to be here, and I got done. I went back to the table, and that's when we got our telephone call. Something happened, and so a so when I got back, so you know to the you know to the house and. I write about this, John, and you know, in mm-hmm. um, uh, in a in a book that's going to be published in the next month or so. Um, the uh, I, you know, I come home, uh, Veronica and I, to a scene that no grandparent or parent should ever see. Uh, you know, fire trucks and ambulances and police cars, all lights going. We had spotlights on the front lawn where they were working on my little Zelly. She drowned in her in her pool in the mm-hmm. back backyard, and. You know, my kids are very private. My life is very public. Uh, we made a conscious decision to have just a private funeral. Uh, you know, I, I had colleagues that that wanted to be part of it. They they wanted to show their you know you know their support and 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 uh, be there for us. And and we just said, you know, thank you, but we're just going to keep this all kind of kind of small. But when I, I when I got back to the to Senate, I had our our group uh, led by Mike Shirky who who came up and they didn't they didn't have to say anything. They just came up and they prayed with me in my office. Uh, we just hugged and cried. I came down on the floor. I didn't know if I was going to be able to. I I did a little little speech, uh, you know, statement on 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 Zelly, a little memorial statement. You know, just lessons on Zelly. You know, just. Uh, the things she liked to do, the things she, the little girl she was, and how full of a life in that short, just a little two-year-plus life that she lived, how big her life was and how many people she affected, how many people she brought together on both sides of the aisle. And, 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 you, and you realize that there are people that, that want to say something, but they can't. Sometimes they say things they you know they don't know, they don't mean it because they they don't know what to say, mm-hmm. and and then there's people that just they don't have to say anything. I had like you remember Mo Wood, you know, yeah. you know he got rest his soul too, right? And you know and people like Curtis Sertel and Jim Ananick and and you know people on our side of the aisle just come up, never said a word, just gave me a big bear hug, right? You and you were one of them, John. Yeah, that's right. I didn't have to say a word, just you know. And because you can't, and then you just walked away, and they didn't have to. And and it's it, it was um, it was the hardest thing I ever went through, and and it was it, it was my little Zelly that brought me back, you know, to you know to to really understanding my relationship to God, and and it was it was a thing that um, that I know I know exactly where she's at. Uh, mm-hmm. And and I know I'm going to see her again. Uh, you know I'm I know exactly where I'm going. I'm in no particular hurry to get there. <laughs> uh, but. And, and I got to tell you, you, the impact that 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 experience had on on each of us individually was really significant. And to to live that with you, and then to live it through your words and your letters. This was. As you have have said to several people that I've been in a room with when you've explained this, you've said, this helped me by speaking to her directly. 
by writing letters to her. What what compelled you to do that? And then now it becomes a compilation in this book that you're publishing, correct? Right. The, the, book, the book is called Letters, uh, uh, Letters to Heaven. And it's a, I wrote letters to my grandkids. Uh, I started writing a letter, uh, letters to my grandson who, who was born in Ecuador as an American citizen. Um, we didn't, it, because of the immigration issues that we had between the two countries, we didn't, we didn't see him for the first nine months. And mm -hmm. so I'm writing him letters, you know, from, from his opa to, you know, from his grandfather. And, you know, I said, here's what's going to happen when you get to the United States. Here's the things that we're going to do and just introducing him to, you know, to who we are. And, um, and, and then I wrote letters to Zelly when she was here and, and we were doing a, doing Facebook posts, you know, living with Liam and chilling with Zelly. So their antics, you know, they, they would just say something or do something. And, and people were, were living, they, they knew, they knew our grandkids. They, you know, they, they'd stop me in the grocery store and say, how's Liam doing? How's Zelly doing? And so I was writing these letters. And so when, um, when we lost Zelly, I, I wrote my first letter directly to God. Uh, it was like, what happened? Right. Um, and then, you know, these letters just get into my head. And I and they just they 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 don't go away. They just stay in there. They're rattling around in my head and, and until they until I put them down, you know, on paper. And and so it takes me once I start writing, it takes me you know five ten minutes to write the whole thing. It takes it takes me forever to edit it. So so all the, all the typos, but um, but the uh, but but that compilation of letters. And it was that year of first, you know, the first Thanksgiving without her, the first Christmas without her, the or, you know, the the first Easter, the first birthday, you know, all of the the first. And and so the purpose of the book is is number one uh, was to a, I I got to a point where I started forgetting what her face looked like. I forgot I forgot what her voice sounded like, and I said I'm not going to let that happen, and. So I started looking at the old pictures and the videos that we had, and and the second uh, objective was uh, to get it again to get this out of the book out of my head because I I had to do something, and the third was the the letters you can I can't tell you how many you know people sent me notes, handwritten notes, Facebook messages, texts, just stopping me on the street, saying I can't tell you. I, you know, how much your letter helped, you know, this, the most recent letter helped it. I, I lost somebody, you know, you know, you know, you know, 10 years ago, I lost somebody six months ago. I'd lost somebody, you know, I had a baby that was stillborn. I had, I mean, you know, we all lose somebody and it never goes away. That's right. And, and, and I had one gal, she lost to her granddaughter just this past summer. My uh, granddaughter was four years old, mm. and 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 it was just in my heart to go visit her. I bought I, I I passed along a book that was passed along to me called Jesus Calling, and and I put it in an envelope with a handwritten note, and I I you know went and knocked on her door, and it was it it was it was like one of these old Southern movies where she came to the the screen door, and she's looking through the door on her porch, and she said, "You shouldn't be here." I'm in a really dark place right now. 
And I, you know, I, 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 I don't know what to say at that point. I so I didn't say anything. And so it was a few, you know, very, very pregnant pause. And then she, then she just opened the door and she pointed to the two rocking chairs, and we sat mm-hmm. down and talked for forty minutes. And she said, "Does it, does it ever go away?" And I said, "No, but you know what? You don't want it to. You know, mm-hmm. you know, right. you you live with the pain because that means you remember." You, if if you want the pain to go away, it will. But that means you're you're letting it go. Those you're, human yeah. connections, Ken, the ability to make a human connection like that with this woman that that you took the time to sit down with. That that's leading by example, and 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 doesn't that give us hope for our, even our legislative process? I know for a fact the relationships were different after that on the Senate floor with our colleagues. Mm-hmm. There was a recognition of of. Of, of all of us, I believe me, after this, this tragic situation, I gave my hug, my kids a hug that night mm-hmm. um, after sitting with you, um, after giving you that bear hug on the floor. Uh, it, it reminded me of, of my blessings, too. And uh, th- these human interactions are what define each and every one of us. And I think that gives me hope. And I, I think you're you're helping to provide that hope by simply talking about it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And, you know, that's part of the reason you're doing this podcast. Yes. Yeah, you know, and and I and I heard this the other day and, you know, and it was, you know, all the mental health issues we had post-COVID and, you know, and and prior to that, I mean, we, you know, mental health is really going to be the issue of our generation. We can fix mm-hmm. all the darn roads and, you know, infrastructure we want, but mental health is, you know, it impacts so many different things in all of our lives. Um you know, I heard somebody say the other day that loneliness isn't a, isn't cured by by meeting other people. A, a loneliness is cured by by having purpose, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you know, and and what is that purpose? And 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 that and that to me that came that came through faith because there's one thing that that losing somebody. It, it's the oddest feeling that even when you're surrounded by people at a funeral, you feel lonely. There's there's this feeling of loneliness when you you know at, at a loss, and it could be a divorce, it can be you know mm-hmm. it could be you know a death, it could be whatever, uh, a separation from your job, whatever loss that is, you can feel really lonely. It's it's not other people. It's 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 a purpose, and but that purpose is, is I think often faith driven. And then that, and then having a faith-driven purpose brings you to other people, and and it's that it's the relationships, and 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 that's when you know, and people are social beings, and this is where we we come together. And then, Amen. and I do believe, and I've said this to you before in our in our in our morning breakfast, that I the experiences I've had, and I write about them in the book. Um, that I know that heaven is real and that, that we are, we are connected to heaven by a spiritual umbilical cord and that we are, if we're connected to heaven, all of us, then we are certainly connected to each other. And that's where the power of prayer comes from. You know, I, it, it goes right through this cord. And then, you know, if I'm praying for you, David, then it goes right. It, it's instantly right. you know, right to you. Yes. And, you know, in the power of prayer is so we can't even imagine when you know when hundreds and thousands of people pray the same prayer 
what that's saying to you know to you know you know to the heavens you know and it just must be some glorious sound up there and the bells are you have to be ringing and then all of that energy is concentrated into solving that you know that that prayer problem yeah and, senator, um, senator you you uh you joining us in the aisle today has served as an amazing uh, reminder um, and given us a different view that we have people who are legislators who may be in our legislature, but when people start talking about the legislature and looking at it and talking down about it, they, they talk about it as, as if it's, it's, it's a, a, um, a person, but it's people. And so you have um, you have in such a special way uh, just reminded us of the humanness of the people who sit and struggle uh, with uh, with the laws that they create and the relationships that they build along the way. And that doesn't often get seen uh, by the public. So I want to go to my colleague, uh, uh, John Prose now, and, and just have him on our behalf extend to you uh, our heartfelt appreciation for you. Senator Ken Horn, we can't thank you enough for joining us in the aisle. Uh, the aisle podcast really is about trying to open up the doors to, to better understanding of each other in that relationship, right? In the time that we have together. Uh, a parting shot along the way uh, as a bar owner and as a restaurant owner, and now as a state senator, what's the parting shot that we need to know uh, as you leave the aisle today, joining both David Rutledge and me? What's the parting shot from Senator Ken Horn? I just say, you know, love each other. You know, you know, it, you know, it doesn't matter if I was running a business or, you know, just, you know, you know, I was at a rotary function last night with, you know, with mm -hmm. thousands of people at a, at a charity function. Uh, whether it's in the legislature, when when we get to if we if we follow the if follow the the golden rule and we love each other, I think yeah, good things happen. I love it. Thank you, thank so you, Senator much. Ken Horn. David, great yes, to sir. have Senator Horn with us. And until next time, we thank you for joining us in the aisle. And, and thank you for joining us today for the Aisle Podcast. If you like today's discussion, be sure to like, subscribe, and share the IELT podcast on Facebook, YouTube, or anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also find us at theislepodcast.com. So step into the aisle and make a difference in your life, just like our guest today. And we'll see you in the aisle.